0: Hello everyone, welcome to Freedom is the Cure, where we aim to show that whatever the societal ailment, freedom is always the cure. I'm Paul Dragu, the Communications Director for the John Birch Society. Thank you for tuning in. So many Americans see politics as a genuine power struggle between two parties, the Democrat and Republican ones. Our brilliant founding fathers, however, would not be happy about the polarity of our two-party system. In 1780, future President John Adams said There is nothing which I dread so much as a division of the republic into two great parties. This, in my humble apprehension, is to be dreaded as the greatest political evil under our Constitution. In 1787, father of the Constitution, James Madison, wrote in Federalist No. 10, Among the numerous advantages promised by a well-constructed union, none deserves to be more accurately developed than its tendency to break and control the violence of faction. And in his farewell address, first president and War of Independence hero George Washington warned that political parties would be used to subvert the will of the government and put the government in the hands of unprincipled men who would hold on the power for themselves. In 1966, a book called Tragedy and Hope, A History of the World in Our Time by Georgetown Professor Carol Quigley was published. In the book, Quigley spilled the beans on the insider class. He said, there does exist and has existed for a generation, an international Anglophile network which operates, to some extent, in the way the radical right believes the communists do. He said the elites even worked with the communists. He said he knew this because he had studied the group for 20 years and was allowed to look over its papers and secret records for two of those years. He learned that the powers of financial capitalism had a far-reaching plan, nothing less than to create a world system of financial control in private hands able to dominate the political system of each country and the economy of the world as a whole. Quigley was describing the conspiratorial elite's plan for a one-world government. His main problem was not that such a group and plan existed. He just didn't like that they tried to keep it a secret. Regarding genuine differences between political parties, Quigley ridiculed the idea, and he said, The argument that the two parties should represent opposed ideals and policies, one perhaps of the right and the other of the left, is a foolish idea acceptable only to doctrinaire and academic thinkers. Instead, he said, the elite's goal was that the two parties should be almost identical so that the American people can throw the rascals out at any election without leading to any profound or extensive shifts in policy. Hmm may help explain why, despite a consistent volume of power between Republicans and Democrats, our country has consistently marched left for decades now. In this episode, we're discussing bad Republican legislation and the problem with party politics. But before we dive in, please remember to follow our social media and podcast channels and like and share this episode. Like with most truth-tellers, Big Tech restricts our message heavily and we can use your help to help spread our message. Today I'm joined by JBS Project Research Manager Christian Gomez and legislative researcher and Wisconsin State Legislator Ty Bodden. Thank you gentlemen for joining me.
1: It's good to be on, thank you.
0: So Christian, I wanted to ask you, if we were to drop those three founding fathers I mentioned in my opening in Congress today, how do you think they would react?
1: Boy, uh, (laughs) they wouldn't even recognize uh, the building, they wouldn't recognize the country. I mean, uh, the passage of time aside, and the addition of multiple states since the since the time that they were uh, both, all, all three of those gentlemen were alive, they would be surprised at how the Senate is operating, not representing the interests of the state governments, but instead in, in, uh, representing the interests of the party politics. They would see how their greatest fears, as you were discussing, have been vindicated many times, probably far worse than what they could have ever imagined, with the division of the Republican and Democratic Party, and they would probably cast off the entire Democratic Party as being anti-constitutional and treacherous, and would likely see most of the Republican Party, not all, but a lot of them, in that same category, they they would be very disappointed and shocked. Yeah,
0: well, and that's what I wanted to really focus on today because I think there is a perception, especially among genuine patriots and well-intended Americans, that the Republican Party is a greater hope and it's better... At advancing americanism and american principles than perhaps it's been so i wanted to to talk to you ty you're you're a legislator in 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 wisconsin and you also what you guys are both researchers and and so i wanted to ask you as you as you mine through legislation and and votes in various states should people trust that republicans put out good legislation
2: Uh, that's like that's up to interpretation i mean I would say most Republicans, most, uh, believe what they're doing is the right for the people and their constituents. Now, whether that's constitutional or not, that's a different story. I don't think there's anyone out there trying to do the wrong thing. But you have lobbyists, special interests, Mm -hmm. uh, really influencing policy, driving policy. In some states, legislation is not even considered unless there's – some sort of entity backing it lobbyist lobbyist mm. group, so yeah. uh, well, a lot it, of the time you're asked they're asking for money and funds, and sometimes that's out of their constitutional reach and
0: well let 's rephrase that question then what about are Republicans in general constitutionally oriented as much as perhaps patriots and Americans would like would hope and think they are?
2: When they campaign, most Republicans and even Democrats say that they want to follow the Constitution, abide, and they take the oath. They swear to yeah. uh, to follow the Constitution. However, there's some bills and legislation that gets introduced. A lot of it doesn't get really brought for a vote. Sometimes, if they consider it leadership, and that that uh, government body considers mm-hmm. it too extreme, well, and it can be the most constitutionally sound piece of legislation. It's unfortunate to be labeled extreme, but sometimes some of the worst bills aren't. It depends on the state. Uh, Our scorecards show that Republicans vary pretty much from, I would say, voting with the Constitution probably 40% of the time to 100%, depending on the state and the leadership. It,
1: It varies state to state.
0: Did you want to add something to that, Christian?
1: Well, I was I would, I would add to that, just look at the House of Representatives. I know we're talking about the state legislatures, but if you look at the House of Representatives, how many Republicans there are those with, have an, that have an R next to their name when you go on Election Day actually have a perfect Freedom Index score? It's only a handful, even out of the House Freedom Caucus, which is yeah. thought to be the most conservative batch in the House. Um, not all of them have 100%. Uh, of people, people like Congressman Thomas Massey and Lauren Boebert, we know that they have 100%. But many others have uh, '60s, '70s, uh, '80s. Yet, when almost every Republican campaigns for office, they sound like they're already members of, of the House Freedom Caucus. So you would think every Republican would be a member based on their rhetoric when they run. But when they get elected, their voting record shows a very different tale. And I think the reason is because a lot of voters uh, don't they don't pay attention after election right. day. Their candidate, their preferred guy or gal, gets elected, and then um, uh, they, they're not paying attention. So that's that's one aspect. I know there's another aspect with regards to um, whether the legislators and members of Congress, how well they even know the Constitution if they took an oath to uh, uphold. Because I, I understand that there could be many uh, Republicans and even some Democrats who probably think that they are upholding the Constitution, yeah. but they don't. They haven't read or studied the Constitution <laughs> to know whether they're upholding it or not, even if they think they are. There's well, a, how prevalent do you guys think that is? I, I
2: would say it's semi-prevalent. I mean, being a legislator just a short time, I I don't know who has read the Constitution, who hasn't, but if you truly understand the Constitution, there's some of these items and issues that are discussed that shouldn't even be considered. I think think people holding elected officials accountable in their districts, especially in conservative districts, I think that might be an issue. I think maybe that's going to the wayside a little bit. I'm not because you got kind con- constituents calling you and asking you to support legislation that's not constitutional mm. and you got a a driving force of groups and people in your districts ar- around the country saying can you please support this and uh there may be there might be
0: so in a way sometimes they may be doing they what their constituents want them to do that's
2: that's that's a drive i mean a lot of representatives want to do everything they can to get reelected and yeah. again sometimes Bad les- legislation gets in the way and people – I think people – anyone watches this or anyone involved in politics should know that calling the representative and emailing them, if your belief based on the Constitution, they, sh- they should be spending more time and making those phone calls and letting the representative know where they stand because that might be – that might become a lost art. I'm not sure. I'm relatively new to being in the legislature in Wisconsin, but yeah, uh, I – am I bet back in the day there might have been more phone calls and more emails and more interaction mm. with um, with every level, even up to the president
0: of the United States. So, uh, Christian, it sounded like you were hinting that as, uh, with federal legislators, as I understood it, they probably know the right thing to do. They know what's constitutional because they, you say they, the, rhetoric, the rhetoric is different before they're elected than – what they do afterward, it doesn't match their actions afterwards. Do you suspect that, at least on the federal side, and you've talked to quite a few legislators, that it's not necessarily that they don't know. It's more like they just do what they do for other reasons than, the con- than being constitutionally oriented.
1: Well, there certainly is a lot of pressure put on um, even the most best of intention to members of Congress As you know, uh, there's lobbyists, there's leadership, there's that party house, uh, so there's the whip of the parties in, in Congress. So there's a lot of pressure to get people to vote a certain way. Uh, people who perpetually vote no, like Dr. Ron Paul or Thomas Massey, don't always become the most popular individual within the party uh, because they're Oftentimes, going against what the party leadership wants, but it seems like their constituents like them, right? I mean, Absolutely. they were voted in several times; they've been re-elected uh, numerous times, and I think that's because the the constituents in those in those particular areas uh, know the Constitution a bit better than the constituents of say Nancy Pelosi or, or Alexandria Ocasio Cortez in the Bronx and Queens.
0: Yeah. So, so let's talk about some some legislatures and, and some states that perhaps we perceive as good, deep, red states uh, and that maybe are not as red and as uh, uh, constitutionally oriented that we think. it Ty, it looks like you're ready to go, my man. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what
2: do you got, sir? There are 28 Republican-controlled legislators in the United States. 22 of them have Republican governors. So there's six that have Demo- the Democrat. Um, That's governors. us, right? In Wisconsin. Yeah, that, we're one of them.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, the dynamics obviously differ from state to state, but the the states with the strongest majorities, with veto-proof majorities, uh, we have Alabama, Arkansas, Florida, Idaho, Indiana, Missouri, Montana, North Dakota, Ohio, Oklahoma, South Dakota, Tennessee, Utah, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Uh, Kansas and Kentucky have; uh, they have Democrat governors, but they also have majorities yeah. to over override vetoes if they if they chose to do so. Most states require two-thirds vote. Yeah, some a handful require just, uh, well, they require three fifths, and so those some- twenty
0: eight states are really, really like solid constitutionally, right? Well, <laughs> we can get into some of those votes here. Well, tell us about because when you and I talk off camera, yeah. you we had discussed how. You were—I don't know if "surprised" was was the correct adjective—but I was surprised because you were telling me that there is some legislation, even for instance in Florida and these these really deep state, deep deep red states that do not pass constitutional muster.
2: Well, there's a yeah, that could keep, be keep a deep conversation on that. One of the big big things that you we're seeing in our scorecards that we're doing are really inflated budgets. A lot of that was during. The, Due to COVID and mm. ARPA funds being distributed, like Alabama, Indiana, Missouri, South Dakota, and Tennessee, a lot of, and more states they created new programs. They ex- inflated their budgets like by billions of dollars. And now the concern is, and you're hearing this around the country, is that they created these programs and they
0: are these state programs or well, if, if the states it's, are
2: it's created. a it's, it's a it's a wide variety. Some of these programs. Um, State programs some, of this fund, some of these funds are used to comply with federal mandates. Mm-hmm. So some states are using that to comply with environmental policy or some something that the, the federal government puts on them. But the issue now is those ARPA funds running out, and now all these states created these programs, and now the funds are going to be out. So what are they? Where are they going to come up with that money? It's going to be through more taxes and other sources of revenue, which also expand government. So. And
0: they're probably going to go to the feds for some of that money too, huh? Well, they, well, we'll see what happens. I mean,
2: this is still early on. There's still some states with ARPA funds in their, their accounts. I mean, Wisconsin's one of them. So yeah. and there's still some funds that have to be used by a certain date. But like like I said, Alabama, like very strong Republican state. And they're
0: creating bigger government.
2: Yeah, it, it, I, it just inflating their budget. I mean, there's states like Idaho. They've passed bills. And these are in our scorecards. So I pulled these. We have... Uh, government housing use of ARPA funds to um, create grants for nonprofits to create affordable housing, uh, loan repayment programs. So for uh, rural rural nurses that want to yeah. uh, if they want to go work in some rural part of the state, uh, they get a grant to help fund pay for their college education. Um, state sovereignty in several states is being. Um, Debated? It's being debated and voted on, and states yep. are losing some of their rights. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's a, I have a wide variety of things.
0: So, so what you're saying one of the issues that, that red states are still bad in is, is when it comes to funding and, and budget and spending. Like that. Did you want to chime in on there? What, what, do you, what have you seen as far as red states uh, violating or at least not falling directly in line?
1: Well, uh, like, a good example is the state of Florida, you uh, look at the legislature there. Um, in the state of Florida, the governor um, has the line item veto power and the Republicans have um, a, a majority control of both the upper and lower legislative chambers. When they when they create the budget, uh, the Democrats often vote for the Republican budget. Now in Congress it would' be that way they would be fighting each other mm-hmm. about what ne- what needs to go, what not needs and, and what should not be in the budget. I mean the reason why the Democrats vote, for um, the Republican budget is because they just tack on the Republicans let them tack on what they want because they know that the governor can veto uh, specific items out of the bills and we see it that I'm sorry we see that in many in many states where uh, the Democrats vote with the Republicans because they just make this monstrosity uh, budgets where they just put everything they want in it and then they let they let the governor uh, mm-hmm. sort it out later and in some states we even have uh, the case where. The uh, Republicans are in the majority and they elect the speaker, but rather than electing a constitutional conservative to be the speaker, um, there's a good number of Republicans who really shouldn't be in there, you can call them rhinos, who work with Democrats in certain states to elect these rhino-swampy establishment Republicans who are going to make sure that they put Democrats to be in charge of committees despite Republican majorities, example of that, it would be the state of Texas, that that that, that does happen. In strong, good old red Texas, that does occur. And um, and there's other states, too. And when you have these swampy rhino establishment Republicans who (laughs) who act as the, uh, who are the the chairs, I'm sorry, the the speaker, I mean, they can suppress constitutional legislation from passing. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's often branded as being extreme. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, let's look at a
0: per issue. You had mentioned off camera that there was, I don't, I don't know what state you had mentioned, that there's Republicans, for instance, supporting abortion bills.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, right now, especially in, like in Wisconsin, for example, and it's elsewhere, the reason we lost midterms in 2022 in November uh, was because of the abortion issue that could serve uh, rep- some states have. Really strong anti abortion legislation on the books. Wisconsin has the 1849 law, uh, which basically prohibits abortions uh, almost entirely. And that's really driving out certain people, uh, certain uh, members of uh, society to go vote for Democrats because they think that's too harsh. And in order to get in compliance with the, the electric yeah. and that some people want to infor, uh, impose policy to uh, include exceptions for abortion or set a time period uh, a number of weeks that abortion mm-hmm. should be allowed and
0: what about full full red states are there full red states who, who look uh, who are pro-abortion despite you know of, of conservative legislature and and a Republican dem- uh, mayor. <laughs> governor
2: yeah i haven't seen that out there mayors yeah (laughs) i've seen i haven't seen that but i have seen plenty of good bills from red states born alive bills when Mm -hmm. there there's some debate on in some states uh language of bills but whether it goes far enough to protect life or not i haven't seen that um in any republican states but it some of the worst bills out of these republican states are Tax tax credits, um, certain tax credits that they shouldn't be doing, in the spent the spending of unconstitutional funds. Um, but abortion, we might be seeing that more in other states as well. Some yeah. adding exceptions to hopefully to to uh, try to accommodate the electric the the people overall mm-hmm. as a whole. I mean, we'll see. We'll see what that happens in this upcoming um, upcoming sessions through all the all the states because. Yeah. We thought it would be a red wave in November. There wasn't, so a lot of states that, are evaluating why that was, and a lot of conclusions. from of these states are abortion, abortion issues. So and yeah, that are, really we,
0: drove it out, huh? Uh, yeah, I, that's I what.
2: Yeah, that's what they say. I mean, that's what they're. Well,
0: I mean, there's a lot of in, in Wisconsin. I would say maybe possible. Uh, there are a lot, especially when you look at obviously the Madison and the Milwaukee area. Do you have any thoughts on the, the abortion battle as obviously it has taken a new dynamic ever since Roe was, uh, was taken down?
1: My only comment really is that those who are in the pro-life movement, um, activists need to be um, alert as to what's happening in their state legislature, because just because uh, the Supreme Court struck down that, um, that decision, the Roe v. Wade decision, doesn't mean that uh, abortion is now uh, abolished in America. We saw that it, we, we do continue to see in many red states where uh, abortion is being protected by the courts there. In fact, even in Wisconsin, we have an election for state Supreme Court where um, there's two candidates running a conservative and a liberal candidate. And the conservative candidate is, is Dan Kelly and the liberal candidate – what's her name again? Um, uh, Janet Protosewicz. Yeah. Proto-Savich. I won't even try to she pronounce it. just him to say I won't, that yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I won't <laughs> even try to pronounce her name. I'll, I'll just butcher it. But – if, okay. she, if she gets we'll elected, she's going to throw out uh, so much of uh, the positive legislation in this state, including the 1848, um, sorry, 1849, was it? Yeah, 49, yeah. The, the 1849 uh, uh, abortion law. So even red states, and there's other ones too. Uh, in 2022, during the midterm elections, there was questions about um, referendum questions with regards to abortion. And many red states that went the way of the Democrats and and Planned Parenthood. So pro-life activists need to be very uh, vigilant as to what's happening in their state and uh, and be looking at the legislature, looking at their su- Supreme Court, where the Supreme Court yeah. is elected by the do you think voters. There's,
0: do you think there's people who who don't know that Roe didn't outlaw... Abortion Man. everywhere, I wonder if that's the case, because it seems like some, especially maybe some of these people losing it, you know, who are from states that they don't really have anything to worry about, it seems like they don't even know what that means. And it's kind of irrelevant, but I don't know. It seems uh, don't answer that. <laughs> <laughs> you talked about budgets, and then you had mentioned environmental policies. Do we see a lot of red states? Uh, using funds or allocating funds for environmental agenda 2030 type uh, policies and uh, uh, you know measures. There,
2: that's hard to say. Because when you okay, allocate yeah. to certain agencies, you don't really know what that's getting. spent. unless we we could take a deeper dive into that. I mean, we're we're spending money on expanding broadband in rural states. the red mm. states they're voting unanimously to. Except millions and millions to expand broadband, we got states that are uh, basically—they're um, taking rental assistance, ARPA funds, are money for rental assistance. They're yeah. allocating that so subsidizing housing. Um,
0: and subsidizing- those are non-conservative ideals, right? Well, you want to explain why?
2: Well, <laughs> <laughs> I well, essentially, we are basically. Putting taxpayers on the hook, covering funds to, for people to to live and for subsidizing it's, socialism. It, it, it's an expanding it's a socialized expanding yeah. socialized programs. Well, you
0: had mentioned rural broadband. That was a big deal when I I lived in rural Montana, yeah. and at, I don't, I mean there was a lot of conservative hyper like independent people out there, but I never heard a peep from anyone opposing that. Because they all nobody made the connection. Like, hey, the government's coming in; they're paying for mm-hmm. broadband and whatnot. That's that's not.
2: Wisconsin's set to receive federal funds. I think upwards upwards of a billion. I think it's seven hundred million to a billion dollars next year or well, this year. I think for for broadband. So it, it's in all the states, but to actually to address the previous question about like, uh, and states. Uh, embracing some of the green energy mm-hmm. stuff. Um, yeah, yeah. West Virginia was one of the most recent states we completed in our in our out of our states quarter cards. They had a bill HP4797, uh Electric Vehicle Infrastructure Deployment Plan. It creates uh it created an electric vehicle infrastructure develop uh, deployment plan for West Virginia that was to set standards for how uh, these electric cars should be managed in the state going forward and they accepted um, I believe there was accepted funds involved that yeah. made, made them, they had to but, comply with whatever regulations.
0: But wasn't v- West Virginia also one of the ones that really pushed back on the green scheme, especially because they have such a huge uh, coal industry.
2: Yeah. I think maybe this plan, maybe, maybe this plan that they have, they'll be taking a more uh, conservative approach. We'll see what happens with, with uh, this, this plan that they have in place. And, uh, federal funds are involved. I, I always get you know, always skeptical of the direction.
1: One of the problems with uh, electric vehicles, the EVs, is the lack of uh, charging stations in many parts of the yeah. country. You have to sort of plan your trip, if you have an EV, on where these stations are located. Um, so if some states don't have many of them, I, there's, there's probably Republican lawmakers who are being pressured into uh, develop a plan to um, – Subsidize or fund or to allow, enable, however it's working out yeah. to make sure there's more of those in those states. So, we are seeing Republicans, um, maybe not embracing it to the degree of AOC and the Democrats and Bernie mm-hmm. Sanders, but there are some Republicans that are certainly embracing aspects, even if even if they don't realize how it's connected to the overall. Um, United yeah. Nations 2030 Agenda schemes
2: in other, in other aspect of this, two other states are kind of embracing this too because a big issue right now is how are they taxed? They're not paying gas tax, so they're looking to they're looking to tax. Um, whether you think taxing these electric vehicles are not or more or not, I mean that's up for debate as well amongst that, all, all these legislators. And um, but on this bill in particular, West Virginia, there were only two people, two Republicans, that voted against it. So I'm assuming they did it for. Um, for constitutional and conservative means. I mean, that's what it, that's what it appeared to me.
0: Well, that's always, that seems like that's always been the case. For instance, I remember back in the day, I don't know if you remember, there was a debate and Ron Paul was involved in it and he got kind of grilled for taking, I believe it was federal money. And, federal money that he said that oh, 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 from a program that he was opposed to. And his response was like, well, if they're going to give it anyways, like I might've, does that ring a bell? Or-?
1: I I recall that. Yeah. yeah, It's kind of embarrassing. <laughs> um, well, the, the, the issue was that Ron Paul votes against these budgets, but before he does so he would put in um, some pork barrel spending for his congressional district. But the way he saw it was look, they're going to, these all these districts are going to get the money for these roads and whatnot. Uh, <laughs> I don't I don't agree with it, but his logic was that yeah. they the money was going to be dispersed anyway. So you might but as,
0: you might as well get it for his district. M- might
1: as well get it for the district because they're they're going to spend the money anyway. Yeah. It, it's not it's not like it's not like it's going to save the taxpayers uh billions of dollars. So he yeah. uh, he put it in there, but he would vote against it. And of course, if, if those bills. Uh, f- failed to pass. Let's just say hypothetically. Yeah. Well, then no one's getting that funding. So, what's the big uh? What's yeah, the big yeah. idea? I guess. Uh, but um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's <laughs>
0: I, it's well. And speaking of, you know,
1: if you're talking like,
2: if, like there are some blue states. One of them in particular, a scorecard for uh, Oregon. People should go check it out. I don't. I didn't have that information in front of me, but there's some. It's a very liberal state. They have some of the worst policies that you'll see in the scorecard. That. There were quite a
0: few Republicans that voted in support of them. And is that so? Is that where you're more likely to find Republicans who are barely different from Democrats? Is it in the in bluer states? You would
2: think there are some bluer states where that they are trying to maybe say they're doing something. They won't be able to get anything done themselves, so might as well tag along with something, some of these liberal policies, and maybe they can say they help get something passed. I don't know. Maybe some of these states, they're worried about becoming – they're moving more to the left, so mm-hmm. maybe these Republicans yeah, are like, okay, I need it. to maybe embrace some of this. Yeah, if I got to be relevant. Right? Yeah, right, yeah. right. and Especially in a state like that, maybe they're thinking, oh, I can compromise here, but try to help my state and not – compromise elsewhere and keep my integrity s- yeah. somewhat in check. Uh,
0: what about red states? Are there any red states, I, I think I had already asked this, is where the Republicans are a little too similar to to the Democrats, uh, maybe even on education. I know education is a big deal for us. My understanding is that when it comes to education, it's hard to tell the Democrats and the Republicans apart.
2: Also, every state has funding for their public schools, so it and that seems to go up around the country, Wisconsin included. Uh, whether, um, yeah, we and it's hard to really monitor where that spending is used, all mm-hmm. school districts are different, so that it's frustrating to monitor that. But I guess, policy wise, you see the push for the equity based curriculum, critical race theory, and that's pretty
0: prevalent in red states, too. Yeah, there's a lot of
2: yeah it's prevalent in red states and that's some of these legislators in these red states are trying to pass bills to ban these mm-hmm, these certain okay. uh, these teachings uh, um so there's an effort there you see that in several scorecards some of them some of these some of this legislation didn't even make scorecards but uh, because it was just so hyper partisan Republicans seem to be the ones pushing to reform education and
0: since we keep bringing this up uh, christian you want to explain really quickly what the scorecards are in case we have someone here who has it. we obviously bring them up all the time yeah
1: so back in in the day so to speak for the jumper society we used to have these um something called trim and it was like a scorecard uh for the house of representatives only and so this is very similar we have uh the house representatives for, for congress also the u.s senate and also for the state legislatures, almost all of them completed. A few I'm still lingering that are not done. Mm-hmm. But what it is, it's, it looks like this is an example of a random one. It looks like this is a piece of paper. You can print it. Well, you print it as a PDF, um, download it, and then print it out. And uh, what it is, it has six votes um, for the legislature for the legisl- for the legislator and how they voted on those on uh, those issues on the inside is a description of the votes, uh, so you know. Why we took the position that we did in terms of whether what, what made us determine is it a good vote, is it a bad vote? What is the vote about? Because the back is a little brief description. Mm. How much money it spends um, per. Um, oh, I, I guess how that's in Congress. Costs and for the congressional uh, um, scorecards, we do have the cost per household. We don't have those for the state ones because that's different. some states for some states we do. Yeah, but you, you, it gives you a good little uh, picture for how uh, your legislators are voting. And uh, these aren't not partisan cards where all Republicans get a hundred or 90 no. or whatever, and all Democrats get zero. The scores really vary. It really shows you um, we as, as Gary, our colleague here, Gary Renoit likes to say for the the new American, it, it helps to separate uh, the men from the boys, so to speak. and that's the value of these cards because our criteria is not well, are you voting in accordance to the platform of the Republican Party or Democratic Party? No. It's are you voting in accordance to the, con- the federal constitution, mm-hmm. and the principles of liberty that underpin the U.S. Constitution. Yeah. So that's our criteria. Yeah, uh, th-
2: there are still some uh, kinks that are being worked out. There's some we get new information about certain bills all the time. We don't have like the resources available like the federal government. Like you can actually, some states' websites are terrible on, on information. You have to read the details and interpret the best you can. Some of it's so bad you don't. You're yeah. Not really sure what it does, so mm-hmm. it, sometimes we, we make some adjustments and it's going to just be a great tool long term. We continue it, and some of these scores are going to be just get more and more accurate. This is the first sample of it, and yeah. we'll you're talking about
0: it. the just the state, the yeah, state the states. One. Yeah. Yes, correct, because we've been talking largely, uh, on, on this about the state uh, legislators, but I, I want to kind of shift slightly a little bit on the, on the federal side because I think that's where people, you know, when the ones who generally pay attention is they pay attention to to national politics. And there is this this, uh, misconception that, again, an R is good. I've met lots of these folks. It's like, oh, we're going to clean up in the midterms, and we're going to right the ship mm-hmm. and, and whatnot. But this ship has been going the same way for for <laughs> decades now. Uh, but you also I mentioned is that that now we're getting a little uh, – the crop of constitutionally oriented legislators seems to be growing. Can you compare what it was like maybe even five years ago to what it's like now, the makeup of Congress, and specifically Republicans' adherence or disobedience this adherence to to the Constitution
1: well I recall about uh, 10 years ago and even well more than 10 years ago 15 20 years ago when Ron Paul was like the singular no vote in the House of Representatives on a plethora of questions and um, and that's changed now one Ron Paul isn't there anymore he's he's retired but uh, there's a group now. It's not just one person who votes no in the House. We have a, a, a group of individuals who take a principled constitutionalist stand. I would say that that uh, part of what changed was Ron Paul's presidential campaign in 2008, 2012, the Ron Paul Revolution. revolution yeah. It woke up a lot of people uh, uh, to to really look at the Constitution to begin with, to be inspired by – uh, the principles of liberty, and now we have a, a group. We, I mean, the House Freedom Caucus didn't exist before Ron Paul. There was no Tea Party before Ron Paul. In fact, some uh, of the early money bomb campaigns for his election were referred to as Tea Parties. Mm-hmm. Um, so really, really, Ron Paul ignited that movement, not um, yeah. some of these other guys who seem to hijack it like Mark Meckler. But anyway, um, the Tea Party movement um, has led to the election of many constitutionalists and— uh, Thomas Massey is just one of those folks, yeah. and Lauren Boebert in um, in Colorado. Um, she barely made it. She barely got in there. I was watching that race, and that was uh, it's kind of weird. Also, right? Matt Gates in Florida. Yeah,
0: yeah, he's a he's a good one. Which which ones are any come to, uh, pop in your head right away as far as which federal Republicans are? Uh, how do I? I don't want to say wolves in sheep's clothing, but Something like that, you know. Folks who are like they're not—they don't really adhere to conservative value. Constitution. You mean like
1: Republicans who yeah, shouldn't yeah. Be Republicans. Well, yeah. A lot of those. Uh, well, some of the worst ones, of course, uh, got voted out. Like Liz Cheney losing the primary. I mean, uh-huh. she had an R next to her name. She was elected statewide for the congressional district at large of Wyoming. Uh, A very red state. In fact, her father, uh, Dick Cheney, former U.S. vice president, um, he was also the congressman for uh, at one point back in the 1970s for the congressional district at large of Wyoming. And uh, if you look back at our old conservative index that was printed in the review of the news uh, for the precursor to the New American, he actually got pretty high scores because he voted the right way on the issues that were picked uh, at the time. He he voted very well. But then when he— There's a video of him uh, in front of the Council on Foreign Relations where he says, I was a chairman of the Council on Foreign Relations, and I didn't say that when I was running for re-election back in Wyoming. So some individuals pose really conservative, uh, and then the media uh, creates that image around them. uh, So then when they're elected to higher position, then their true colors come out. A perfect historical example is Richard Nixon elected to the U.S. Congress in the state of California from Yarbalinda, California – became Eisenhower's VP, but he had this repute, the only reason he was picked, actually, as Eisenhower's VP was because he had the image of being this stalwart, anti-communist conservative, and then when he becomes president, what is he known for? uh, Bending his back more to the communists than Mm. perhaps perhaps any other president prior to him um, uh, with his uh, opening the doors of communist China. So we have people today that I would say uh, are in that category. There certainly are a good number of Republicans. Basically, uh, if you want to know who I'm thinking about, just watch Fox News. Who is Fox News typically showcasing on their channel as a stalwart Republican? Uh. And then look – then go to the – then anytime you see a Republican on foxnews.com, it's on Fox News' website, on the, on the channel, and they're bolstering them, go to the thefreedomindex.org uh, or thenewamerican.com and look mm. at their freedom index. Look at uh, these congressmen and congresswomen that are perpetually – uh, shown to us on an almost daily basis as a uh, conservative, and see if, if their vote matches the rhetoric.
0: Who do you have in mind, Ty? You're over there nodding. Yeah, no, <laughs> I, I, I've really been. In, obviously,
2: I'm still. I've only been here a year now, but it's. Uh, you, you can definitely see that there are some uh, that are elected who say the right things, and when they're in office, they don't. You see that in the federal scorecards. Um, even the last couple I've been involved in the last couple and you see that Mm. it's great it's great seeing some of these constitutional conservatives like Massey um, uh, and even Wisconsin we have a great Senator Ron Johnson. His scores, I mean, they're not the highest, but they're they're up. There. His scores
0: have gone up. I, I looked yeah. over his scorecard and, and they seem to have incrementally got gotten better. And his lifetime, I think, is not that great. It's like uh is in the sixties, low seventies, something like that. If I don't remember, hmm. but he has he, ha- he has gotten better. Do you guys think these things do they make a difference? I mean, I've heard stories for uh where our members they have an opportunity <laughs> to meet state and or federal legislators yep. and they bring them up to them. And for instance, I think we had a member was a few months back, uh, Ted Cruz was in Milwaukee. He showed him his, his scorecard. And he says that Cruz's response was, Ooh, I got some work to do. Um, what have you guys seen as far as, <laughs> or heard of these things making a difference?
2: I, I've had first 10 experience. Uh, it was probably in October this last year. I, uh, Attended a Republican Party event running for office at one of local parties, and when I was there, there were a couple of uh, John Birch Society members that were handing out these scorecards to everyone in the room. And I was like, oh, it's funny. I've helped worked on some of these. I didn't do this one, but this is part of my job, and they're blown away, and I met some great – uh, Birch members and these members were handing square cards to their state representatives, and some of them kind of replied the same way. It's like, well, got, like, you know, I gotta do, some, mm-hmm. I have to do some more uh, researching then, and yeah, making sure I'm making the right votes. So, uh, I believe that's helping in other states as well. If that just happened in a district, yeah, my one district of the ninety of the ninety nine in Wisconsin, that I would assume it's happening all over the country.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, where do you know of any states where there's a real struggle between your old fashioned rhino ish Republicans and the more constitutionally oriented? Has anything come Idaho. to
1: mind? Uh, I think of Idaho. I think of uh, Ohio. Mm. I think of um, Texas. Uh, oh, well, probably Texas too. Um, uh, yes, Texas. Uh, Oklahoma. I've. If often been said about Oklahoma. Um, I, I've heard you know Oklahomans. Uh, Uh, say about their state. You have three political parties in Oklahoma. You have the Tea Party, uh, sort of the birch wing of the Republican Party, if you will. And of course, you have this third party fringe, it's irrelevant, called Democrat Party there. But then you have this other party uh, within the Republican Party, the Chamber of Commerce, the establishment Mm -hmm. wing of the Republican Party. And those are the ones that typically are more willing to occasionally work with the Democrats to suppress anything that's very constitutional coming out of the, the, the sort of Tea Party constitutionalist uh, Bercher wing of, of of the GOP, if you will. Yeah, uh, and and we've seen some victories actually with uh, the constitutionalist side uh, taking over um, Republican parties in terms of the chairmanships of, of Republican parties in in various states. Uh, Ohio, I think of, and um, and also in the state of Idaho, where Dorothy Moon, um, one of the most constitutionalist members of the state legislature. She in the Idaho, right? now she is the chairwoman of the Republican Party of Idaho. yeah, so there is there is a change happening. In fact, um, I noticed this change starting to happen shortly after the two thousand and eight presidential election when a lot of strong Ron Paul supporters, um, decided said, to, to, "Hey, let's get involved in politics. Yeah, And when they did so, the you started seeing a lot of Republican parties, at the, at the local county levels, and then eventually at the state levels turning around to be more constitutionally uh, minded. So, Uh, The the winds of liberty are certainly blowing uh, in the right direction.
0: You keep mentioning Ron Paul. I just want to throw out there that that 2008 primaries is that was kind of where I started paying attention. Same for me. Yeah, I wasn't really into it. I was in my 20s. I was kind of like, yeah, whatever. Uh, And then I'd hear this, this, this old curmudgeon on there. And, you know, his answers were always so different and yeah. and they were almost always the same they'd be like oh how do you think you know the department of whatever should uh, operate and all the republicans would be like well no, no no and he'd be like well it shouldn't exist you <laughs> know it's always the the same thing well this department shouldn't exist this is unconstitutional it shouldn't exist no no like they were always and i was like i like this guy you know he's he just kept saying it I, he was like always we needed to shrink government it was way way too big go back to what I asked Christian did you want to add to anything to that do you see any real tense struggles between rhino-ish conserv- uh, Republicans and 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 constitutionally oriented stalwarts
2: I think the states that he mentioned I mean okay so Idaho Oklahoma examples you hear about other uh, county part the county state parties um in the leaders of those parties uh, they're Republicans. They don't embrace, I guess, the most woke, left-leaning legislation. But they're not embracing the the constitutional legislation they should. So they're always everything that a lot of these state legislators do. It, they get everyone's opinion. You get a good bill out there, and in order to get the votes you need, you water it down. And that that that's politics. It's huh? politics, and that's how it it is. But the, it, Wisconsin, for example, there's a there's a great shift in the direction of the Republican Party, especially Mm. in Wisconsin. There was two... That's good,
0: because we live here. Yeah, I mean,
2: (laughs) this is just an example. I mean, this is happening everywhere. You're hearing about it, uh, where constitutional patriots are uh, getting involved in their county parties, winning elections Mm. at the county party level, uh, where there's brand new leadership in Milwaukee and Dane counties, the two biggest counties in Wisconsin. Uh, They just had their caucus elections last weekend, and we got some strong patriots that are now leading those parties. And... They will be the ones that will set the tone and they'll be setting the, they'll be leading policy and driving initiatives mm-hmm. going forward. And hopefully, from those parties will stem other legislators that will be more constitutionally inclined. And hopefully, those people, once they grow in the legislature and their political careers, they'll run for Congress and hopefully they keep those principles. Yeah. So, it, 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 once we get these county parties, uh, more in check and with with the Constitution yeah seeds are being planted right now two of the biggest guess, the like two biggest counties in our state let's see what comes of that and this- maybe 10 20 years from now we'll be some constitutional revival and we'll be in better shape and that's and that's my prayer anyway
0: well it sounds like that's what's happening it's based on what you guys are saying you know you've been you've been watching and studying this for for a pretty long time and you know it sounds like that is what's happening that, that we're really, there's 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 a line being drawn between you know just republicans in name and real patriots and and it sounds like they've people are starting to realize that uh there's a difference between being constitutionally oriented and just being a run of the mill conservative uh so that's that's terrific what would you guys advise people who who are listening uh, to do, to get, to to get in the battle, you know, obviously they can run for office, but I, I'd imagine most people have no, I have no interest. And in, I imagine most people are like me, but w- I mean, we talked about these tools, we talked about getting involved, uh, any, you know, what do you guys uh, uh, advise? We'll start with Ty, we'll work to you and <laughs> we'll wrap it up. Uh, kind of starting where,
2: or going back to where we started, I think getting involved with your, for one, you should get involved in your Republican county party because, whether you like parties or not, that's where policies influence, that's where legislators come, that's where elections are driven. Get involved there, you can change the party from within and hopefully make your party a constitutional conservative party. And, you, like I said, we're seeing that all over, so I would encourage people to get involved locally, run for office. Um, again, then you, like I said earlier. Be in contact with your representatives if they're not following the Constitution, if there's a bill that they hear about being drafted, if there's a bill they hear about being introduced, give them a call. Let them know what you think. And that has more weight than people realize. And I think we'll need to get back to that.
0: And and my understanding is that legislators, they pay attention when they see – when they at least recognize that, one, the constituent knows what they're talking about, and two – it's their constituent. It's
2: right? a it's a it's a form of accountability, and mm-hmm. that's there needs to be more accountability in government. So if there's more people paying attention, yeah. holding their representatives accountable, it, you should uh, you should you have the power to change things yourself.
0: Yeah, and you've seen it happen. And we, absolutely, we just discussed what's been happening. What about you, Christian?
1: Um, well, we we talked about the scorecards. I highly recommend those who are watching to go to thenewamerican.com dot to print out copies of their scorecards to their of their. Uh, U.S. Senators, the U.S. House of Representatives, their state representative or assemblyman or delegate, however it's referred to in your state that you live in, and state senator, or if you live in Nebraska, just your state senator, and send them a copy of their scorecard. Let yeah. them know that you are watching how they're doing. Assuming they have a, a watching score, you, huh? I'm assuming they have a scorecard. <laughs> Ty doesn't have a scorecard yet because he was just elected. We're watching you, Ty. So, you. yeah, we're watching you. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so that's a, that's a good way to to, to get people active also recommend uh, that people join the John Birch Society and that as as a Birch activity, they go to their, every time the, the new scorecards are produced, whether it's for the legislature, if it's available for your state, mm-hmm. or if it's for Congress, which are, which come out more frequently, the, those scorecards, when we do the Freedom Index, when those new ones are um, made available, put them on the doors of people who live in that congressional district mm. or state legislative district. Look, make sure you're putting the, the right card for yeah. the person who lives in the right area. Otherwise, you wouldn't want to but uh, the wrong uh, <laughs> congressman or, or state legislator's uh, scorecard in someone's door can kind of waste of time. But but the right one's there so people can see how they're voting, yeah. especially if there's going to be a town hall event with legislators speaking. Be outside the door uh, dressing your be- best suit so you look a bit more legit and just hand them out people are walking in. Uh, usually it's best to ask the uh, event planner or someone in charge that you're going to do that. Yeah, yeah. But sometimes it's nice to do it even if you uh, don't, don't mention have- it, especially if it's like a... A really bad, really bad legislator or some Democrat or some swampy rhino establishment, crony um mm-hmm. Republican. He just passed these things out and people can start acting. It says here that uh uh you voted for assault weapons ban or you yeah. voted for a gun registry database and you yeah. just put these people on the spot because yeah. uh, uh that that that's very, very powerful.
0: This is activism. This this is what it looks like, and it's not going out and getting your bullhorn and your sign and, you know,
1: screaming about and then going back to your, your life. You that accomplishes nothing except making yeah. you look crazy and making <laughs> you a target for law enforcement. Well,
0: it, I mean, but this does, and what you guys have described today is very inspirational, I think. And it's a, uh, it's uplifting and it's, it, it seems, it has an optimistic tone. I didn't, I don't think I approached the beginning with an, so much optimism, quite frankly, but uh, we knew that this was happening. So Um, but I'm glad to hear that. I'm glad to hear these stories. I'm glad to hear what impacts and what influences legislators. And I'm glad to hear that it's been making a difference. So thank you, gentlemen. Thank you for your time. And uh, we'll have to do this again. Well, there you have it, folks. So education is our total strategy and truth is our only weapon. And it seems to be working. So here at the JBS, we've always strived to stay true to those words from our founder, Robert Welch. And we urge viewers and listeners to stay vigilant. Don't assume an R equals someone who's looking out for America first. So please use our federal congressional scorecards and our state legislative scorecards. They're valuable tools, perhaps the best ones out there for riding this ship. Use them and tell others about them. They're available for free at thenewamerican.com under the Freedom Index. We've also provided links in the description below. And if you haven't already, apply for membership in the John Birch Society. Well, we'll plug you into a network of patriots working to restore and preserve this nation. So thank you for tuning in. And always remember that whatever the societal ailment, freedom is always the cure.